Whether you know him as Cyclops from the X-Men, Teddy from Westworld, or Chris from 30 Rock, you almost certainly know James Marsden. He's got those leading man looks, and he's got the acting chops to back it up. I first met James a year or so ago when he dropped by the Hodinki office on a trip to New York City. As you might expect, the guy is charming as hell, and when he walks into a room, he completely owns it, whether he's trying to or not. It can be a little intimidating. But then you get talking to him, and you realize that he's actually just as big of a nerd as the rest of us. James has been an IWC brand ambassador for a few years, but he's full-on watch crazy, rattling off reference numbers and talking movement preferences like it's nothing. We knew immediately that getting him on Hodinky Radio was a must, and during a recent break in his shooting schedule, we were finally able to sit down and make it happen. I'm a huge Westworld fan, so obviously I couldn't help but ask James about the show and what it was like to play an android cowboy, but we also get into his early career, his obsession with espresso machines, and why we both think that the nerdier you get about things, the more enjoyable they become. I'm just going to go ahead and say it up front. I don't think this is the last time you'll be hearing James on this show. If I hadn't had a flight to catch, I think we easily could have talked for a few more hours. All right, let's get into it. I'm your host, Stephen Pulverant, and this is Hodinky Radio. This week's episode is presented by A. Langenzona. This year, the German watchmaker is celebrating the 25th anniversary of the iconic Langa 1, a modern wristwatch unlike any other. Stay tuned to learn more about the Langa 1 later in the show and visit alangenzona.com for more. Thanks so much for joining us. Good to uh, good to have you here. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Always good to sit down with you. We've been trying to do this for, I think, probably a year now. <laughs> since Too we, long. Since we were recording pilots. I think like this this interview has been coming longer than the show's existed. Because uh, I think I did the bit for Hodinky Magazine, right. the photo shoot and everything. Yeah. And there was talk of doing the podcast. Right. Um, I think we were threatening to get together yeah. that long ago. Yeah. And, um, Which actually, I guess, was a year ago this week because we had the whole Hodinky oh, yeah. team out here. That's a right. year ago, the That's week right. before Basel World. You know, I'm so busy. Um, it's just one of those things. But yeah, I guess I'm always here and you guys are yeah. most of the time in New York. But I'm glad we're finally getting to sit down and chat. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. I thought we would start with kind of uh, your your backstory. You know, you've been been in L.A. for a while and you have what in some ways is a, is a sort of like almost cliche story, but in a great way where you like, <laughs> you loaded up your car and just drove across the country, right? Yeah, it wasn't a van, okay. but it was a okay. car. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did. That's kind of how it happened. And I was just kind of young and, and na- naive and confident enough to <laughs> think that it would actually happen and work. Um, and when, uh, yeah, I moved I moved here from Oklahoma. I grew up there in Oklahoma yeah. City and um, went to college for three semesters to get the college okay. experience. And then this was always something that I wanted to do. Was it OU? Uh, Oklahoma State. Okay. Yeah, Oklahoma State. Oh man, I shouldn't have said OU then. But and my allegiance was never. I I shouldn't say that, but it, you know, I never really got into the you know yeah the the the, the fights between the two uh, colleges or whatever. But I didn't stay long enough to really. Like, <laughs> um, but I figured, yeah, I'm 19. I you know now if I'm going to give it a shot, might as well do it now. Yeah. And uh, and I did. I met um, some of the Cameron family, Kurt Cameron okay. and his uh, sisters when I was 16. Uh, in Hawaii, staying at the same hotel. And uh, we kept in touch. We got to be friends and kept in touch. Cool. So in my mind, I was like this Oki who was 16 years old, like thinking he's the cock of the walk because he had connections in the Hollywood business, you know. So uh, we kept in touch and and um, they were encouraging to, you know, you should come out and give it a shot. You have, you're funny. You got a good look, whatever. Um, and I did. I just, I packed up my 1984 Honda Accord hatchback and 
and uh, hit the road. And when I tell that story, most people go, that must have been terrifying for you. That must have been, uh, and actually it was quite the opposite because it was like, that is all I could think of that to, <laughs> of doing. I mean, the nice thing I, when you're 19, right, is like you don't know enough to know how stupid that is. Well, yeah. Right, like it, you don't yeah, know enough like, to be scared. Well, yeah, because when you're young and dumb, you, right. you know, you're just, you're overly confident. Totally. More confident than you should be. But that confidence <laughs> sometimes, you know, is uh, fruitful and, yeah. and ends up, you know, helping you. Uh, because if, you, if you're not looking down, you're too, you know, naive to think about how, how, how the odds of actually this happening yeah. uh, are so great um against you <laughs> right. you know but uh, it, you know but you've got nothing to lose you're like well i'm just i'm right at the bottom of the mountain you know i'm, I'm not gonna fall anywhere i'm just gonna come back to oklahoma and finish school if, I, yeah, if it doesn't fine. work right my dad and my my mom were very supportive and uh my father um helped me out with a place and you know he said hey i'm gonna you know help support you financially for a certain amount of time and if it doesn't work out you know uh maybe think about coming back and you know getting a real job yeah um but uh, yeah, and it, uh, again, I just uh, got, I, I got lucky. Like he, he knew someone who was a casting director uh, that you know he grew up with in Kansas, and um, and the guy sent me out. Uh, he had a friend who was a manager who sent me out on auditions, and and I again, I was just like, hey, I'm the new guy, and I'm going to take over this town. You know, <laughs> nice. So so you got out here, right? You're in you're in your hatchback. You, yeah. you have a place. Yeah. What do you what do you try to do? Like, what is what is that? I I have no idea what that looks like. like I mean, you, you know, it was a modest little you know, uh, apartment with a Murphy bed. You know, the things that nice. <laughs> the bed that folds <laughs> out of the wall, and um and I, but I was going on three or four auditions a day, and some of them were just general meetings with uh, studio people, and so the guy I was with was like a legitimate manager, and yeah, um and I had some really nice headshots that I had made in Oklahoma, if, if you could imagine. Uh, so those were thrown away quickly. Okay. And, <laughs> and I got some... Does that exist anywhere? Do we use, is uh, that a thing that, that you I still have? I think if you hunt hard enough on the internet, you can find okay. them. Um, they're, they're really good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah it, I did like modeling for the Sunday paper in okay. Oklahoma. Yeah, it looks okay. I'll, 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 <laughs> what you imagine that would look like. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I actually, I started getting good feedback relatively quickly. And I think because I came in and was just like we talked about, kind of overly confident. Um, and now I'm 45 years old and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I could screw up at every turn. <laughs> just play it safe, play it yeah. safe. But when you're young, like I said, you just, you know, you take chances you normally wouldn't. Um, and, uh, and I got offered to test for a, uh, um, soap opera. Okay. And, and, um, the manager was saying, we're getting too much good feedback. You don't want to do this. And in my mind, I was like, this is a, this is the most regular job as an actor you can have, right? This is yeah. like a three-year contract and you're getting paid and you're working, you're saying no to being a working actor two months into being in LA. And uh, my father <laughs> heard that and he's like, wait, what? You're saying no to work <laughs> when you should be, you know, at home working at Dairy Queen. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> uh, nothing wrong with that, but... Uh, so then we started to, you know, be a little more selective about what kind of stuff I was uh, going after. And it was like, no, you want to be on like a network show or try to find an independent movie and all this. And so I slowly, I did some guest spot things on like Party of Five and, and say, by the bell, the new class and <laughs> nice. blossom, you know. So you did turn down the soap opera. I did. Well, Is it I a soap opera the... we would know? Yeah, it was Days of Our Lives. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, it, I, it wasn't, so the way it works is you, they get you on contract so that when you test, it's their decision. So basically, ah, I, okay. I may not have still gotten the role, okay. but they test like two or three people. Okay. But they make you sign 
before you test right. so that they, they can't go, hey, we want you and you go, bye. Okay. You know, so, but, uh, so you have to go into it as if you're getting the job. Okay. And, uh, but, um, but yeah, so I was doing, uh, you know, other little things here and there, the nanny. Okay. With Fran Drescher. The pilot episode of The Nanny was actually my first job. Wait, you're in the pilot, the pilot of The Nanny? of The Nanny. Okay, we're going to have to dig this up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure we link this in the show notes somewhere. Uh, you might find a VHS player somewhere. That's amazing. <laughs> so that was uh, your first job? Yeah. What's yeah. it like walking? I mean, that's, I mean, Fran Drescher and then like, that's, that's a big, I guess at the time it was the pilot, so it wasn't yet a big show, but yeah, what's it I like didn't... walking into something like that? I mean, you know, it's nerve wracking, but yeah. I was also just... I was, it was just thrilled to be there. I was like excited that I was actually getting work. And yeah. this is like, what you know, it's two lines uh, on the pilot episode. I was like a waiter in a, at a party that's like got caught kissing the daughter on the balcony. <laughs> um, and, and, but, but, you know, I was like floating on air. It was like, I'm, I'm, I'm working as an actor as yeah. a, in front of, you know, cameras, like not on a stage in the middle of, you know. Enid, Oklahoma. So, I mean, again, nothing wrong with that. Like, that's what I did totally. for, like, I was, you know, middle school. I was, it was theater. It was musicals. And and that's where I, you know, I first kind of felt like, oh, I might be good at this. Or it feels like I'm good at it. Um, and whether I'm not, I enjoy doing it. Um, so I wanted to always get better. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, it started to grow from there. I, book, I booked a TV show as a regular that's kind of like a Saved by the Bell type of show called Boogie's Diner. We don't have to harp on this old stuff too no, much. No. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to go there. Uh, but it was like Jim J. Bullock and uh, shot in Toronto uh, for Canadian TV. But I was getting paid like like really good money to be on this kind of Saved by the Bell, Saved by the Bell show. And um, I lived in Toronto for a year and a half doing that. And uh, again, it's like you know you're you're a working actor like yeah. you you're you're already like the top you know whatever four percent of people that are in la like you because you're you're you know you're working you're making money doing it yeah you actually have a job yeah it's not yeah you know you're not working for scorsese but you know it's it's work yeah you know and then you and then over time i just kind of got you know more selective about what i wanted to do and what my strengths were and my um i, I wanted to do more comedy and uh, you know i wanted to kind of diversify everything do more film uh, work with good directors, and and um, I, and I did this show called Second Noah on ABC. It was a like primetime network thing for a while, and then I the, the big one was X Men, and that was like yeah. 1999, I think. And wait, did that movie that movie came out in 1999? Uh, it, well, I booked it or in booked... 99, and then yeah, and then uh, it it was released in 2000. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we wow. shot for like six months in Toronto, okay. back in Toronto. Yeah. Um, but that was like that was the first time I felt like I you know kind of hit it on a you know you know in the big leagues like yeah. that was like okay this is a significant you know very big movie with a huge following and um you know there's still a question mark what the movie was gonna if it was gonna be good mm -hmm. or if it was gonna work you know but the people involved were just like oh god it's there's no way this can't you know it's right. Halle Berry and Patrick Stewart and some dude named Hugh Jackman from Australia some, some guy yeah <laughs> right so you you show up for that right and you said you, you know, you had this feeling of being, you know, like a middle school kid on, on a stage being like, maybe, maybe this works. Mm. Then you're a working actor for a couple of years. You, that's working. But then you end up in this, in this film, right? It's X-Men. It's a huge franchise, tons of name brand, uh, kind of household names. Yeah. 
is that just a whole like does it go up to another level there in terms oh, of, sure. of anxiety and, and trying to like yeah. find your place i think so i mean you know because i think one of the i don't know at that point i was a little wiser than i was when i started so <laughs> i was like you know it's that classic actor thing of like feeling like they're gonna they're gonna learn that i actually a, a fake yeah <laughs> you know like i feel like um, that's, that's not just an actor thing that's that's in everybody right it's like the, the yeah uh, what do just, they call it uh, imposter syndrome right yeah right? it's like you're yeah. you're gonna get discovered they're gonna right. figure it out exactly that you're not is you know you're actually a talentless fool right. it's that like you know not that i'm touting myself but that was that quote the greater the artist the greater the doubt like uh, you know it's just that artist doubt thing like yeah what was it perfect greater artist greater the doubt perfect confidence is granted to the less talented as a consolation prize. <laughs> I was mm. like, I don't know. That, wasn't, that, that sounds like me saying, yes, I, the doubt means I'm a great artist, but, um, but it's a common thing. It's like, yeah. oh, well, everyone feels that. Like Jack Lemmon always thought his, every job was his last job. You know? Right. We, we always go, ah, we don't like to watch ourselves. And, but yeah, so that was heightened at that time because it was, it was a, at the time, it was a $100, 150000000 million movie. Uh, maybe I could be off on that a little bit, but you're an essential integral part of it and yeah you know you're like okay don't screw this <laughs> up don't don't <laughs> yeah. screw it up right Every, everybody else i've seen them do their work <laughs> yeah. i've seen their their established you know serious actors and uh you know um get it right you know I've, and a lot of it was you know me wearing the the uh the visor and you know, kind of being very serious and broody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of Hughes' show. You know, it was it was it was uh, kind of built around Wolverine's story. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was nerve wracking. You know, because you didn't want to, and also like my friends that were like fans of the comic books, and I I, I never was into the comic books. I remember playing the video games, and yeah. I, I I quickly called my buddies who were comic book fans and said. Okay, what are the issues I need to read? What are the sagas? And they would go, okay, read this, read this, read this. I can't believe you got cast as Cyclops. You're so wrong for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, um, so, you know, they kind of uh, gave me a quick study on all of it. And I wanted to get it right. And you know, the fans are out there, you know, the pressure of like getting this movie right. And yeah. this is a beloved, it's been around since 1963. And, and um, you know, you just want to get it right. And, uh, and yeah, it worked out. And we did, you know. I did, oh, I did two. Oh, I did three, technically. Um, um, but after the second one, the director went to do Superman and invited me to come along with him. Mm. And uh, there was a, you know, I, I was sort of stepping out of one franchise and stepping into another one, potentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, you know, that was the first time it felt like you were on the real global stage. Yeah. You know, the and world I, is seeing this. I think also one of the interesting things about that is, is, I mean, acting is is so collaborative, right? Like you're you're in some ways limited by the company you're you're working with. What's it like to step in and work with people of that caliber for the first time? What does that do to you as as an artist and to your craft? Well, I mean, luckily, I <laughs> when I was first starting out, I was always more of a mimic. I felt like I was more of a mimic than a trained, classically trained actor. You know, mm -hmm. I was like. So I'm one of those people that you get in the room with, uh, uh, you know, a room full of Brits and all of a sudden involuntarily I'm speaking with that accent, you know, <laughs> and they're like, what, were you taking the piss? And I'm like, no, 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 I did not know I was doing that. I just, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, just kind of, so I, uh, I, you know, I kind of flow with what's going on in the room. And, um, and when you work with the, either the greats or, uh, you know, the, it sort of brings your game up. And, um, so there was, yeah, there was a little pressure there. Like, okay, well, don't, you know, if you're not good, you're going to stand out like a sore thumb around these, you know, these great actors. But, uh, 
but thankfully, thankfully, it was it was sort of the opposite, which is like you sort of rise to the occasion, and they when you work with, you know, great artists, they 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 make you better. They make yeah. you better. They make you uh, they make you focus. They make you pay attention and listen. Listening. So much of it is listening to what the other actors are saying and telling you, um, while the cameras are rolling, and and when they're not. But but really, like when you're in the scene and just actually just listening to somebody, and not thinking about what your next line is or what you're going to do or how you're going to say it. You know, um, so they sort of, you know, the experience uh, teaches you that. And um, so I was lucky to work with, you know, really talented people. And that's something, you, you know, it's an ingredient you always search for. Are there are there any projects you've worked on that stand out as kind of like turning points for you from that kind of educational standpoint? Projects you worked on where you say, I picked something up here that kind of like changed changed me or changed how I approach everything going forward i mean i was always i always marveled at the 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 actors that have been doing it for forever and i watched them and you know i did a couple of movies with frank frank langella and i would watch him and i would I, you know because it is a this delicate dance of like keeping this little flame lit inside of you and it's, it takes so much focus to be there's so many things on set that are going against you um, they're trying to bring you down. <laughs> like there's cam there's cameras and there's cranes and there's do you know dolly moves and and people lighting and noises and you know and it's just it's it's so easy to be distracted. Um, and uh, so I recognize that it's a technical art as much as it is, you know, a performance art. So like Frank would come in and basically respectfully map out potential places he might go in this in this scene and ask the cinematographers like am i boning you if i go over here or am i still lit am I, you know here and he'd just map out his whole all of his marks where he was going to go to you know so that then that was his playground to go in and be free to create whatever he wanted to create so it was this mix of of uh attention to the detail of the technical part of what we do and then you set that up and then you can be free enough to so you have nothing one less thing to be nagging at your in your head going ah oh, my you know pull, pulling your focus away from what you should be focused on and it's uh so i i don't know i just i i remember that with frank like he would he was he would address the fact that it was uh technical art as well you know you can't just all of a sudden because you feel it you know run into the other room or you know walk over there and pick up a uh, you know a vase because you're angry in the scene and throw it against the wall like no we need <laughs> we need 20 of those because you got to do it 20 different, <laughs> 20 more times um so anyway so you know i would just like watch and and i was just always very observant of the people that make it look effortless and and what what went into making it look effortless you know and and also the the the, the courage to uh try something that might not work I think that's such the I think that's the biggest thing, which is, you know, uh, um, Nick Cassavetes told me when we were doing the Notebook, he said I've seen, you know, Sean Penn, you know, do a bad take. Like you, you, you have to be able to feel like you have a safety net to try things, and that's a good safe place for for an actor is to is to be able to have the freedom uh, to explore, and um, so that was something that uh, you know some of the. The more seasoned actors that I have worked with, I I, I learned that from. And, you know, you got to be bold enough because if you just go in with you know, with uh, apprehension about is this any good, is it, you're just going to be safe and it's not going to be interesting. Yeah. Maybe it's ignorant on my part. I I haven't thought about it before. But you're talking about all the things that are going on on set, and like I'm 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 aware that those are things that are happening. But 
you know, in when you're working in the theater, the audience is there. You're performing for them. That's that's the end product. Yeah. But when you're doing something for for film or for TV, you still have a live audience. Like there there are still people there in the room that you're performing in front of. What what is that dynamic like? And and how do you know that ultimately the goal is is whatever that final the the take that makes the cut. That's right. that's the goal. But that for all the other takes, you still you still have an audience, you know, of, of some sort. Yeah, you do. You are there. You know, there's 40 people on set doing their own jobs. I mean, they're, they're not they're not they didn't pay tickets to come watch you do it. But, you know, they're on their yeah. phones and between during takes and, you know, but you are. Yeah, you're there with you know, several people that are, that are working. And um, I, I, I liked um, the I like being on set for a TV film because, you know, that you do have that safety net of. Uh, if I forget my line or something doesn't go right and I screw up or I try something that doesn't work, it's not, it's not going to be in the edit, you know, hopefully not. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was a much safer place and it can be a little bit more, um, uh, what's the right word? I mean, you know, it's, it's more exciting to be in complete control on stage with the audience in your hand, you know, like you go, I, I, this is me. If I, if I screw up, I got to turn it into something. Um, and that's, that's, that kind of, uh, that can be, it can be exciting. You know, it's, it's a little more like surgical sometimes on, <laughs> on set where you're, you know, you come in and get a master and then they come in for coverage and you're doing the same scene, the same dialogue, you know, maybe like 15, 20 times. So it's, that's, that's the hard part. It's like, how do you, how do you keep that, uh, that creativity flowing and, and your mind open to uh, new ideas of how to, you know, how to make it interesting. Um, but also the repetitive nature of what you do. It's like, you are going to do it, you know, several, several times. Um, but I like, yeah, I like the kind of safety of that, which is, you know, you are, you're on a set and, um, you know, and you're, you're piecing it together. And at the end, like, you know, the, the director takes it to the editor and they, they put the pieces together. You know, that's the other thing too, is you have to have trust in the director because, yeah. You can take, you know, a performance and cut together 20 different performances, you know, based on what takes you to, unless the actor's doing the same thing every time, you know, so you want to be in the hands of somebody who's making good decisions about what, what, uh, how to sort of craft or to, uh, you know, to, 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 um, to someone who sees when it's, you know, has a good taste in what, what, what's the right take to, mm -hmm. to print and, and, and put into the film, you know? Um, so if, if when you're on stage performing for a live audience, right, you have all that control and, the, and, you know, that can be, that can be positive or, or negative. It's all in your hands. Is it liberating or is it stressful or, or what kind of handing that control over to somebody else and saying like, I have, I have to trust you. Like I'm going to put myself out there, but it's ultimately in, in your hands, what people see and, and how people perceive this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you're on stage in front of that audience, yeah, you, it's, it's in your hands for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it can be if, you know, if you work on something where you, the, you and the director aren't necessarily seeing eye to eye, it can be a little worrisome about like what, you know, uh, what you feel a little, you feel like you need to control your performance a little more. Like, yeah. like, all right, well, you know, I just did this film, um, with Jim Carrey and he's so surgical about, you know, he'll go, we'll sometimes do, if, if we're having a scene together, he'll sometimes do a line several times j just to you know in 10 different ways until he feels like oh okay that that was that was it let's move on to the next line <laughs> you know to, to really like 
uh, separated it out instead of like, hey, let's just like do the scene. I mean, most of the time we were doing the scene back and forth and, you know, getting it up on its legs and sort of feeling it out. But sometimes it would be like, ah, let me just go back and do that line a couple more times. And I, I responded to that. Like I, that made sense to me when I, when I act, sometimes I, I think edit almost too much because it, it can take you out of that sort of natural thing that happens, that magic yeah. that happens when you're, when you're just riffing with somebody. Um, but I can, I can, I can also see moments where it's like, oh, you know what, let me just do this line <laughs> 10 different ways and then we can move on to the next line. Um, but, uh, and that, I guess in that way you can kind of control somewhat what your performance is, but who knows, you know, some, some actors go sit in the editing room. Okay. And go, ah, I don't like that take, you know. But then you, you know. Is that you usually to, up to the director whether you get is. to do that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, if you really want to sit in on it, um, most directors would be like, cool. But, you know, I just don't believe that actors, I mean, I, I just think sometimes we lose objectivity about what our, what we're doing. Yeah. And we'll see ourselves on the screen and go, like, oh, I don't like that because look at my neck looks weird or like, you know, I didn't totally. like that take. And, you know, you don't have the objectivity that other people might to see like, oh, actually, you know what, actually, that's the best performance in my opinion and everybody else in this editing room. Yeah. So maybe just trust us on that, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the people that love theater love it because, you know, it's them. There's no, that's it. You're out there flying without a net and, and that's exciting and, and the control of that. Do you get to do any of that or much of that anymore? I haven't. Uh, you know, I not not properly since like high school or college, really. Okay. Um, I mean, the closest thing to it was the movie Hairspray I did, yeah. which is like we yeah, shot yeah. it like it was. Um, we prepared for it and and trained with the dancing and the singing and everything, like you were preparing to do a, a like we could have taken it on Broadway. Okay. And. Uh, so, and it felt like that. And then the cameras were just on long dolly tracks, just going back and forth, watching us like we were, you know, like the camera was in the audience at, in, on Broadway. Um, and I just, I just hosted these, uh, the Laureus Awards in, um, in Monaco. And I've never like properly hosted a show before. And it was like the Oscars for international sport. And that was like, oh, okay. I'm remembering all those feelings I used to have before <laughs> the curtain opened <laughs> when I was doing musicals or, or plays back in, in college. And, uh, and I remembered how you have to like, you know, before you get out there, you're just like riddled with nerves. Yeah, the adrenaline just yeah, goes oh, crazy. Yeah. But then you just reminded yourself like, this is what's exciting about it this is yeah. what's fun about it and then as soon as the curtain opens like you, you know you sort of purge yourself of all the like all yeah. those like internal things trying to bring you down <laughs> and then you're just out there and it's it's really it's 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 very gratifying because when you feel the audience like what you're doing or getting what you're doing if there's humor there or you know um it fuels you to sort of move with them and uh and it's just a completely different art than, uh, than being on stage and doing things take by take and shot by shot. Yeah. And, um, How do you get that kind of feedback when you're making a, a film or a TV show? How do you get that kind of like audience feedback or, or do you not get that and you just have to kind of like live live without it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you don't. I mean, there's there's on set, there's a place called Video Village where, uh, where there's a couple of monitors and there's the director, the cinematographer, um, the, you know, sometimes the producers, the writers, other people who just want to sit and watch, um, off to the side, um, out of sight from the actors on, on, on the stage. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you'll do a take sometimes and you hear, yes, that was great. You know, moving on. We got it. That's great. And then sometimes the director, you'll be like, okay, 
that 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 felt good too you know or is yeah. or is that just because we got to make lunch now <laughs> like we got to get out of here for lunch yeah. and he's the, just the trying to make sure they coddle you to make sure you know but uh uh so yeah but that that happens sometimes you just like you know the director will come over and go i love that last take i don't know about you but that was that was great i feel like we got it but if you want to do another one we can and that always happens too sometimes it's like you know what nice we've got it in the can we, we've got the performance um let's do another one just for fun and yeah. just you know, do something different and sometimes a lot of times that's the best take yeah because then the then the knowing that knowing that you've got it in the can already right and you're just like free to yeah do whatever you want and then you're not thinking about you know whether it's good or not or whatever. you just you know, and then they of course sometimes come back and go <laughs> yep that actually was the that was the best one <laughs> And now a look at this week's sponsor, the Longa One. If you're a Hodinkee regular, there's no doubt that you can immediately picture the distinctive asymmetric design with its oversized date display. Most collectors today take this watch completely for granted. And to be honest, it's kind of hard to imagine the modern watch landscape without the Longa One. But despite what you might assume, it only came to life in 1994 when Walter Longa presented it to the world for the very first time. A. Langenzona, the family firm founded by his great-grandfather, Ferdinand Adolf Langa, back in 1845, had sat dormant for nearly half a century. The Langa One brought the company back to life, and in just two and a half decades has cemented itself as a true modern icon. This year, A. Langenzona is celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Langa One with a special collection of limited edition watches, but you'll have to listen next week to get the full story about those. To learn more about Elanganzona and the Langa One, visit elanganzona.com. One thing I want to I want to make sure we we talk about and hopefully you're not you're not too sick of talking about it, but uh is Westworld, which oh, is no. I guess your your latest big big project. Yeah. Uh, so two seasons, uh third one coming up, hopefully. I think they are I'm going to be very cryptic about Yeah, that. that's that's fine. <laughs> what I say. I think they are uh, gearing up here pretty soon to start the third season. Okay. Um, unfortunately for Teddy, he was at the wrong end of the barrel at yeah. the end of second Spo- season. Spo- spoiler alert, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, shoot. Sorry. That's fine. Uh, for the people who people, haven't seen people it. People have had time. Okay, yeah. the, people you, have had time to see it. Yes. The statute of limitations is right. <laughs> for sure. Yep. It's It's been a year. Um, you've had your chance. Uh, sorry if I ruined it for anyone. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think they're gearing up for season three to start uh, relatively soon. Yeah. Yeah. So- how did you get involved in that project? Uh, <clears throat> I was, um, they were casting, they'd cast most of the other characters and they were casting the role of Teddy and, and, um, and Dolores. And uh, I got a call from my agent saying that, um, that Jonah Nolan wanted to have a Skype with you. I was doing a movie in, in uh, New Orleans, so I couldn't meet with him in person. And we had a 30, 45 minute Skype conversation about what the concept was of the show where it could potentially go. And, and he's the greatest at uh, giving you information without giving you information at all. <laughs> like <laughs> you could, thought you knew what the project for was. for two but... hours and you will come away going, wow, that was a lot of info. And I don't know still where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> or I can tell you what it's, you know, gen, you know, sort of generally about. And he made a point to go, Look, go back and watch the original Westworld movie from 1973. Yeah. But we're not doing, you know, that's, uh, we're basically taking that concept and expounding on it and, um, and you know, we're going to explore the future of AI and what it means to be conscious and be alive and, and what it means to be human. And these are the themes that are going to flow throughout this. Um, and, uh, we think you'd make a great 
Teddy for this uh, guy who's like a gunslinger, you know, but with a heart. (laughs) (laughs) The kind gunslinger. Right, right. Um, And uh, that's, you know, him and uh, Dolores are like kind of the... Uh, the, the the romance of the show it's like this like you know the the, the heart of the show it's their, yeah. their like relationship and um and then of course it grew to so many other uh, other things and and um um but yeah it was uh it was stepping into something knowing the potential of where it could go and the conceit of the the idea of the show was was um very big you know it was ambitious and uh but you felt like you were in good hands you know and surrounded again by a tremendous cast of characters with Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris and Tandy Newton and, you know, and the list goes on. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but, but you, all I had was the pilot. Uh, I had that script and I didn't know where, where it was going for the second episode. Um, and for sure, not <laughs> by the end of the second <laughs> season, you just kind of like roll with it, you know? Um, but so were they, were they giving you scripts one episode at a time? Um, yeah. I mean, they typically, they'll, they'll give you the next, um, sometimes you shoot a little bit out of order, uh, more so in the second season than in the first season. Cause it was so much bigger. Yeah. The scope of it was so much bigger in the second season. Yeah. Um, we had two or three units going on at the same time and you would shoot a scene from episode nine and then come back and shoot a scene from episode two, you know, sort okay. of all over the place. Um, because they would block shoot, which is like, we have to shoot this location out. So right. any scene in this, these 10 episodes that take place at this location, let's go shoot them now. Um, you know, so there's just many different cogs in this giant wheel. That, um, um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't like withhold any of the, the scripts or information. They would, they'd give it to you. You get, you typically get the next, uh, episode script a good week or two in, in advance. Um, so that you know they they want you to be able to prepare and do, yeah you, know. you, you still have a job to do right yeah. right yeah. yeah and they're very very respectful of that um but they also you know it it sort of things change as you go like the writing will sort of shift and and um they they're apprehensive about giving you something if it's not like fully fully final draft you know yeah um so they want to make sure they got it perfect before they give it to the actors so since we've already already spoiled uh spoiled some of the the show uh if you if you haven't watched it uh i would say stop listening but you, you can listen and you'll still enjoy the show i think you will um, there's there's yeah. several many there's many more storylines than just the t- <laughs> yeah and having well i've watched it twice all the way through like i'm noticed yeah. you know noticed tons of things i didn't notice the first time around and yeah i have a feeling i'll end up watching it a third time and see oh more, i, I but... do too i mean i've i've read all the scripts seen all the episodes and i you know that's another thing you read the scripts and and you have in your head what's what's going to be happening. And then you you see all the episodes cut together, and you're like, wait a second, whoa, that that scene was actually an episode script of episode five, but it ended up in episode three. And like you know, they they get in there and they do their magic after the fact too. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that so that so sometimes that's like you know seeing a show that you, you didn't read the script for. You're right? Like, whoa, whoa, I didn't. You know, interesting. Yeah. So that's cool. I mean, typically you you. You know the the process is they you know they'll they'll shoot the episode and and uh, that's what you'll see on the screen. But sometimes it's it'll surprise you. So yeah. the the one moment I wanted to make sure to to bring up was there's a moment in season two where Dolores changes Teddy, uh, mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, re- reprograms Teddy. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember what you felt when you saw that on paper for the first time, where you realized this person who you you had tried so hard to become right was now somebody else well 
Full disclosure, I, I th there was a conversation that took place before the second season started. Okay, uh, that illustrated uh, in a very again Jonah Nolan vague way. Okay, <laughs> that there was going to be a something's going to happen to the character. Okay, halfway through the season, and we think this is going to be fun for you, uh, and and fun to see Teddy go this direction. Uh, so you know, it was basically that kind of wording. It wasn't like she changes you. This is how it happens. Right. You know, the, the, the details of it were not there yet, but it was exciting to know that there was a new dimension being brought to him. And it was fun as an actor to, uh, to get to play that mm. so that when, you know, and Evan and I got to be really close friends on the shoot and we would, anytime the new script would come in, you know, on the, some super encrypted email, you know, that you have to sign in and, you know, yeah. <laughs> sign away your children's, you know, thumbprints, blah, blah. This will self-destruct and right after you read it, <laughs> um, we would call each other after we read it and go, oh my God, you know, and, and I remember Evan calling me just like, she was you know, upset. Yeah, you know, she was like upset. It was like heartbreaking to see what was, yeah. you know, what was going on. Cause it, it was at the end of, I think, episode four or five where we have this like really kind of tender loving moment where we're really connecting and she realizes that you know he's he's too good of a man he's too um virtuous and uh his moral code is too strong he's not going to survive so i have to change him if he's going to survive in any way so and then we were shooting it and that was hard and you know i, I think evan actually you know got teary-eyed it was it was it's really powerful. You know, you, you live with these characters for so long and they become part of you. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's a show that can be relatively perverse. And, and yeah, of you course. Know? I mean, yeah. not even relatively, it can be very perverse. Um, and, um, and, uh, uh violent and sad and, and, um, um, but, uh, you know, so watching these characters uh, evolve and their stories start to unfold is uh, is it's a pretty emotional thing to experience. Yeah. I mean, you had spent it at that point, you know, you'd shot all of season one, season one was done and, you know, you're halfway through shooting season two and you've, you've put all this work into, you know, becoming Teddy. Did, did you have moments where you're supposed to be, you know, you're, you're halfway through the season you're you're supposed to be portraying the sort of new new teddy let's say right um and and old teddy kind of wanted to come out did that ever happen <laughs> where you know you, you'd already kind of become this this person yeah. and uh you know it just kind of like kept creeping in well yeah um in those moments when uh that would come it would not involuntarily come out it would be actually um by design yeah there'd be moments where i'd get with lisa joy uh the other one of the other showrunners and writers and um and jonah's other half um they would come to me and say it'd be interesting to see a little bit of now that you've you're changed and you've turned into you know terminator teddy or whatever um we just want to see a glimpse just a, like a flash yeah of warmth um in your eyes that was you know from that, that there's there's a teddy underneath still all of that that's trying to claw his way to the surface um and uh so that was deliberate some of those moments but um but yeah i did find myself sometimes on set just going oh oh this is uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes i'm i'm changed now i can't yeah. <laughs> i can't react uh, in this scenario the way i would normally you know but one of the cool questions was when we started the season um now that 
he was now fully awakened, um, was what, uh, what part of his identity is now chosen and what is, you know, what part of his programming does he leave behind and what, and what part of his programming is genuinely him? Um, and so that was a sort of existential crisis that he was going through for, and they all were. Um, but, uh, you know, Dolores and Maeve were further along in their paths. Yeah. <laughs> and Teddy was trying to play catch up a little bit. Um, but it was an interesting thing to play because it was like, now that you're aware and conscious of what you are and, you know, you must look at yourself in the mirror and go, what is, you know, what, what is, what part of me is real and what part of me was programmed and, and now I get to sort of choose my identity and yeah. some of what was programmed for Teddy was still there, you know? Uh, and that's the sort of like dragon that he was wrestling with for, you know, for the whole season, which is like, you know, who am I? What, uh, how can I stand back and watch, yeah. uh, all these atrocities that, 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 um, that Dolores is like blazing down this path of like, you know, um, like revenge and, uh, yeah. and yet still he just innately, um, it was against his core. And, and I think he ultimately realized that was beyond his programming. That's who he genuinely was as, as a, as a fully conscious entity or yeah. whatever you want to call it, you know? So that was fun as an actor to play and, and difficult, man. It's, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not an easy line to toe, you know, you're, you're. It doesn't uh, sound like No, it. no, but it's, but it's rich, you know, it's, it's really depthful and rich, good stuff that, you know, that you the first season, there, there was a lot more of Teddy just being like, hey, little darling, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'll take care of you, little thing. And turns out he didn't, she didn't need <laughs> she, she did she not need, need that. Yeah, she did not all. need that at no. all. So it was fun to sort of, you know, kind of dismantle that. Well, because um, it, it sounds to me like in, in a funny way, you as an actor playing Teddy had to make some of the same decisions that Teddy as, as a character had to make about about himself and about what was sort of core to him and and you playing him had to also make those decisions there's a sort of a lot of layers of yeah, kind of like sure. interpreted uh, oh, humanity here there was a moment at the end of the first season where evan and i looked at each other and went wait a second we as actors are hosts we yeah. we we follow a script <laughs> we we you know kiss people who aren't our significant others <laughs> they yell cut and you do it all over again <laughs> you know, you go back to you know, the assembly line and get whatever. And uh, so it was like this realization of like, oh my God, this is what we're, and they're like, you know, we're dragging our, you know, our, our, our emotional course <laughs> over and over and over again. And you're left exhausted at the end of the day as an actor. Does, you know, it, does it take time after a role like that to like <clears throat> recover? Do you have to take some time off and just say like, all right, I have to kind of like let my brain reset here. Yeah. Uh, I think the exercise was to just, you know, take the, take the hat off once you leave work, you know, you're just, you go home and I go be with my kids and just get your mind out of that, um, really complex, um, and sometimes very dark, yeah. uh, place. And, um, it's not a, it's, it's not an easy show to shoot and, um, it's, it's, it's really complicated and sometimes you're in really kind of miserable conditions. And what I mean by that is we are very taken care of. Um, and it starts at the top with Jonah and Lisa. Uh, and, um, but you know, you're sometimes in 115 degree heat up in, you know, Northern, North of Santa Clarita and you're out there all day long and people are passing out waters and you know, I don't know, not I'm crying about being an actor cause it's all right. Um, but, um, 
and it's it's an ambitious show. I think it's uh, there's a lot of moving parts, obviously, and um, and it uh, it can be it's you know if the show wasn't as powerful as it is, um, I could see a lot of people going fuck this man, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, crew crew <laughs> members going nope, no thanks. But everyone I'll go is shoot there. something on a right. stage, yeah. But you know what? It's I don't believe. <sighs> The best stuff just comes when it's difficult to make. I mean, I, 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 not always, but like, I do believe that, um, and this is be a nice parlay into watches. Uh, <laughs> um, Perfect. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not an easy show to produce. It's not an easy show to, um, you know, to, to, to act in. It's, it's very challenging and, uh, and you're exhausted by the end of the season. Um, you know, you feel like you, you've, you've run, yeah, Iron Man's for the you know, last like five, six months. Yeah. Um, but it's very gratifying because when you, you know you're a part of something special and and because it's it really, um, it's it's so big and difficult to make, it's like exponentially gratifying when you see it up on the screen. Nice. Yeah. Well, you mentioned segueing into watches and this is <laughs> we Radio. No, we, I don't guess to, we don't have to get there we yet. We probably should, I, I, I think. People are probably wondering where the hell that is, but... Um, you know, people, people might know you're a, uh, an ambassador, a friend of the brand, I think is the, uh, the term they use. <coughs> yes. Um, I, I, yeah, they use both the ambassador, friend of the brand. I'm not sure I know the distinction between the two. Right, just yeah, yet, me, but, me neither. But, uh, uh, yeah, one of those. But you're with IWC. Yes. And how long have you been with them? Uh, I might get this wrong, but it feels like five, six years okay. around there. Yeah. Yeah. But you're an actual watch guy. I mean, a lot of these people who you see is like brand ambassadors are sort of, you know, they get to wear a nice watch. They get a little bit of money. It's it's easy. It's fun. But you're yeah. like, you're a real watch guy. I'm a nerd. Yeah. I, I love them. <laughs> I, I love it. But I'm, I'm that way with a lot of things in my life. You know, I'm a, I, I love, I'm a technician. I like um, the details that go into yeah. um, special things that why, why this car is special, this guitar, this, this piece of art, you know, um, this espresso maker like what yeah. you know like what whatever it is Ner but, nerds tend to be nerds <laughs> about lots of things like i, I don't For know sure. many people who are like really into watches but like don't care at all about cars or cameras or something you know right right well there's you know there's there's, there's a lot of people out there that, that you see um that wearing a you know three hundred thousand dollar watch and they bought it because it's a three hundred thousand dollar watch they don't know much about it or yeah. why it's special they're just like oh this is you know this is that name on there and I'm, and I'm wearing it and yeah. it's expensive. And that kind of drives me crazy because like I, you know, I have a nice little mo relatively modest collection and some of them are like, you know, $50 Seiko fives, you know, like I, it's a cool thing. Yeah. 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 So this is a $50 automatic movement, you know, watch that will continue to run as long as it's moving. And, um, so I am fascinated with the details about why something is special. And the sort of uh, the craftsmanship that goes into all of it. Uh, yeah. So yes, I, I um, and I, I think <laughs> the expectations. I don't know it, when when I started talking shop with the, you know uh, the, all the all the all my friends and family over there at IWC. They were like, "Whoa, how do you <laughs> <laughs> you, you actually you, know, you know what know this that? is?" And I'm yeah. like, "How do we make a you know a forty millimeter you know perpetual calendar, split second perpetual calendar?" And they're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" Slow down, yeah. <laughs> this Slow is down. not what we're paying you for. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Slow yeah, down. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> How do you know this? First of all, uh, um, so I tend to when I get into something, I immerse myself in the science of it all uh, because that's I just can't get enough information about it. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, and it and it watches became one of those things for me. So when when did you first get into watches? Was it before you started working with IWC? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and I wasn't diehard before that, but uh, they definitely sort of shepherded me into you know um, the the world of fine watchmaking. You know, yeah. Before that was uh, you know I had a whatever. When I was in high school, it was like one of those Casio was F ninety ones or whatever. The I forget. They're just like basic you know, yeah, Casio, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, and I had a <laughs> I had a Seiko because because uh, my uncle had a uh, he said, oh, you, you want to wear a Seiko because it's Okies spelled backwards. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and I never if, realized if you're from that. from Oklahoma, then uh, you're, you're that's cool. You're, uh, you're an Okie. so I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll wear a Seiko because it's Okies spelled backwards. That's cool. Um, but uh, my first, you know, my first very nice watch was given to me in 2001 um, by uh, David E. Kelly as a wrap gift for the season of Ally McBeal. Cool. And it was an IWC and it was a Portofino. Um, and I was like, I've never been given that nice of a, a gift as a wrap gift. And it was like, whoa, that's just cool. Well, I'm going to learn about this thing. What is it? Why is this like special? And um, <clears throat> so it was just sort of happenstance that that was like the first real nice watch I got. Um, and then my father gave me a, uh, Rolex Submariner. And I don't even remember what, you know, what year it was. May, I think it was from the eighties and it kills me because we were shooting X-Men two in Alberta, Canada, in some crappy little hotel. We were staying out in the middle of nowhere in this like little, you know, motel. And I left it on the nightstand Oof. and the, uh, housekeeper, um, made some money. <laughs> Oof, that's rough. <laughs> or the, you know, the, the housekeeping. Yeah. I came back and it was gone. I was like, you idiot. What are that's you killing. doing? But I was still in the, mo I was still in the time where I was like, I didn't like, I mean, I liked watches, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, I, I was like, oh, cool. That's, you know, I know that's a nice watch. But yeah. I, I wasn't like obsessive about it yet. Sure. <laughs> yet. That came later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that was, I had to tell him that and he's like, oh, oh come on. Uh, yeah. So I didn't want to think about like, God, what was that? It was like a 70s, 1680 or something. I don't yeah. know. I think it was just a 5513. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I can't think about it. It just, just disturbs me. Yeah. But um, so then I have a stylist, Alaria Urbanati, and she basically, how that works is, you know, if you have press coming out for a movie, TV show, the the, the studio will, will, you know, they'll give a certain budget to have a stylist dress you for, you know, Jimmy Fallon or doing press junkets and all this. And part of that dressing is you know, she's you know she's awesome she like puts me in these really great suits that you know i don't really get to keep but i get to wear them for you know um and i remember her going yeah any what what do you have any watches you need a nice watch to wear with this suit and uh and iwc was one of the um the companies that she worked with and was like here you know this will look really nice with that and i was like funny this is like the only other nice watch i have is is an iwc it was given as a gift and um um and then then that's when I started going, oh, wow. Because this is like, this has got to go back. <laughs> this is like, now, now you know how we feel all the time, right? <laughs> we, we get to see these amazing things, but they, they always have to go back. Yeah, right. I'm, yeah, you do, don't you? You get to hold them the story, and wear the them story and of my they life, go man. back. Yeah. Great stuff that gets sent back. Um, but I, she dressed me for the Met Ball a couple of years ago. And uh, um, this is when, at the, uh, four or five years ago. So that was probably when I started with IWC. And I was wearing a really nice, I think it was a perpetual calendar. And I was like, what is this thing? And what do you mean it, 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 it will keep time until 2,499? And Kurt Klaus, who developed this, you know, 
uh, I just, then I started wondering why is this special and learning about it. And, um, and, uh, I was, I did a couple of, um, you know, press things where I, they would, she would out the IWC were kind enough to like, give me a watch to wear for the thing. And then they invited me to SAHH one year. And, uh, and I, I flew out and got to see all the, the new goodies. And, um, that's when I was speaking to, at the time it was George and, uh, but, um, you know, everybody there on, on board, the creative team, and, and I had done my homework. And they were like, yeah. well, you know your stuff. <laughs> That's, that feels good. Yeah. We, we want people that, you know, to, to be aligned with this brand that care about it and understand why this is special. Um, so I just, you know, I would talk their ears off. <laughs> What's it? I just want to know, what is it like as a normal person going to SIHH? Going as not, you know, an industry journalist who's, who's covering the show, like, or as, you know, one of these mega collectors who gets flown out and you know shepherded through the whole thing like what is it like to go to sihh i mean it's like going to santa's workshop for one you know, in one way but you you know as as a an ambassador or someone who's there to you know to you know take some photos and do some interviews you you know you're you're very well taken care of you you, you uh they line up interviews with um certain publications and then you go to the booth and uh, you take some photos you know and you look at the new collection that they're releasing and uh and it's, it's, it's cool. It's a surreal experience, you know, and yeah. it is very sort of isolated. Like you're, you're, you know, you're there, obviously all these other Richemont brands or whatever, but you're there with IWC right. and you're, you know, you're, um, you're kind of in their world while you're there. So you don't really get to see everything else that's going on as okay. much as you probably get to jump around and. You yeah. Know. I mean, we're running. running yeah. I mean, and the they place. wouldn't, they wouldn't be against if I wanted to go look around at other stuff, but, uh, but you know, it is very, you know, IWC specific and, yeah. uh. And, and rightly so. It's like, it, you know, uh, I'm just, I, but I do feel like a fan sitting there looking at the new collection, you know, it's, um, and I don't look at it like, you know, what's the most expensive watch you got in here? And like, you know, you're just like, oh, cool. This is oh, amazing. Like this new Spitfire collection that just came out. Like, Dude, getting the case sizes down to like 41 so and the, you know, and uh, in-house movements in that, in that size of case. And I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. And I mainly say that because my, you know, I got little tiny wrists. I mean, so. we're part of part, part of the same club there. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but you know, I, I I like to see a lot more of these like in-house movements get into like some some smaller cases for my wrist, and um, yeah. so I just think they knocked that out of the park. And some of those green dials are really cool. But yeah. uh, so every year, like last year was the 150th, the the Jubilee collection, and all those like lacquered dials were just so dope. Yeah, they were good. Uh, the Paul Weber and all those. Um, anyway, so I'm a fan as much as I am, uh, you know, a an ambassador. And I think that they recognize that and like it. Have you gotten to see the new factory yet? The new manufacturer? No, no, no. no. Okay. Um, I ha I was going to go on the tail end of doing the Laureus uh, Sport Award thing in Monaco. Okay. I had to get back, so unfortunately I couldn't do it uh, this time. But um, but we're we're planning that. Cool. Um, I've only been to the old one. Okay. Yeah. I know you've seen it because I sent you a photo when I was there. But they have uh, they have your photo hung right right by the front. Oh really? Yeah, they have that big uh, the big composite photo of all the uh oh, you know, oh friends, that's right. friends of the brand with right. klaus it's, it's, Kurt, it's all of you right. uh, it's like that's right it yeah. was uh lewis and right by it, right by the front door <laughs> right inside that's cool that's great i didn't know that was there yeah um i'm excited to see it because it's you know i know you just went yeah it's you? cool you it's cool thing. i've been twice actually and it's chris cool. designed it didn't he? yeah he designed he the did because he comes he from architecture doesn't he um but uh yeah i'm, I'm thrilled to uh to, to you know they're like family now they you know they really are like so um i want to go check out the new manufacturer and see what that's all about. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm a geek. Like, you know, 
I'm proud to say that I'm <laughs> I'm a geek when it comes to this stuff. And so it's it's there's very you know there's a few things that I I could just never get tired of talking about. Yeah. You know. And what and, what are some of the other ones? Uh cars. Um you know my son's 18 now and uh uh, we share a lot of the same. It's fun to to share the same passions with your kid. Yeah. And, um, you know, got into cars for a bit. Like when he was younger, I, I bought this like, you know, 1963 MG midget, the tiny little thing that I couldn't, couldn't take outside on, uh, outside the neighborhood. Cause you would just, you know, if you got an accident, you were done. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, we had a, uh, 66 Corvette and a 67 Austin Healey, um, 3000 and I've sold them all since, but it was just fun to have them for a bit and share that with him. Um, so I get nerdy about that. Um, guitars, I got, I, you know, I, I have a nice little cool collection of guitars that Very I, cool. over the years and, you know, I don't want to sound like this douche. It's just like, yeah, you know, this, like, this is all the stuff cars I got. And yeah, guitars cars and guitars. Yeah, yeah, no. But, um, but I, I guess I, you know, I like, and then when I discovered Hodinkee, it was just like, oh. These are guys that speak my language, like you know. <laughs> We've definitely got a uh, a thing. Ah, uh, and it's it's it, yeah, it's uh, and I, I get to meet obviously Ben through. I met Ben because I met John Mayer in the airport at JFK, and we were still, <laughs> where everyone meets John yeah, Mayer. Yeah, right? and, yeah. and we, we started talking. He goes, oh, and I mentioned a watch question because I knew he was a big fan, and um and uh he goes, well, I got to put you in touch with the scholars. Like, you, you, these guys will be, and he guided me very kindly through my first like uh purchase of a vintage uh, 1680 and it was nice um and it's it was awesome but uh but i just i was like i would wake up in the morning and go on your website and because like, <laughs> it was just everything i i like i like things that are just um that there's soul and 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 heart that goes into the, the, the creation of these things and uh and that could be a guitar it could be a uh, it could be a car and or a watch or piece of art or something but um but yeah i'm definitely a, a hobbyist there was a time where i was into espresso machines really yeah yeah, yeah. i got some fancy italian thing and i wanted to learn exactly the, the, the pull the perfect espresso shot has got to be between 27 and 32 seconds and like i just nerd out on the details <laughs> you were drinking a lot of coffee i would assume it was i yeah. my wife uh, at the time she was like i i there was a website called coffee geek i think and i um I read that the, uh, 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 there was a regional barista competition. I couldn't get my machine to microfoam, okay. quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, I re I saw that the person who won the competition was from Glendale, which is like close to me. And I reached out to this woman and said, hey, would you, I can't do this on my machine. I can watch all the online videos, but do you mind, I'll pay you to come to my house and teach me how to microfoam on my machine. And this woman shows up at my house and my wife's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm learning how to make latte art. Okay. Have Can you imagine what this woman thought when like, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're a pretty well-known guy, right? Like when, when you reached yeah, out was, to this woman and she's like, uh, James Marsden wants me to teach him to make latte art. Like I would, she not, probably thought she not even crossed like, my mind. I was just oblivious to that. I was just like, you know. She probably told her friends just to make sure that, like, if, if nobody heard from her in a few hours, that she wasn't being like right, lured in, out in, to a warehouse yeah, by in, some weirdo. Yes, yeah. in hindsight, it's like, yeah. This is kind of creepy. Who are you? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> but I was, and she helped me out and taught me how to do it. And, and I was you like, got yes, it? Cool. Great. I just needed that. I needed more than just the video online. Um, but yeah, besides, I'm that. And all my friends are like, you are the weirdest dude. 
<laughs> I mean, you just you're if just you can't technician. enjoy stuff like that though, then like what what are you gonna? I love do? it. I just I, I love it, and and I you know I I get into something and I live it and breathe it, and I don't do anything else. Like, you're also a big camera guy, right? Yeah, camera photographers. Yeah, it's another yeah. thing. Yeah, um, yeah, I got it. I'm obsessed with uh, obviously with Leica for the you know longest yeah. time. I still have an M6 cool. that I shoot with and load it with film and the whole tangible process of like loading that with film and. I haven't stepped into the full digital world there yet, but uh, I have all these, you know, really wonderful M lenses that uh, that can only, only going to work on my M6. Yeah. Um, but I know you can get uh, some of the newer ones that you can use those old uh, yeah. M lenses. Sure. On. But um, but yeah, um, you know, I just I, I I like I like the mechanical feel of things too. You know, like mm -hmm. when it's this, something when things get too digital, it gets a little soulless for me. Yeah. Um, do you shoot when you're, when you're on set or when you're working or is it mostly an, an outside of work thing? Um, well, I learned photography. This is another thing. There was, there was a website called photo.net yep. and I think it's still there, right? And, oh yeah. And, uh, and I just read message boards about like, okay, what, what's, what is the, what, how, I want to understand why this photo out of these 36 shots was great. I, I want to, so that I can understand the science of why it's good. And so that I, I don't believe in shooting a thousand frames and then luckily getting one good one i want to understand why that was good i want to be able to do it every time yeah you know the qual what the quality of light um the 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 um uh the relationship between shutter speed and aperture and film speed you know like that that little triangle there that when that clicked i was like oh okay so there's the, you, the, there's more uses to a telephoto lens than just you know you're too far away Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it compresses somebody's features. Like you know, it's it's more attractive if you're taking portraiture, like to shoot over seventy millimeters. Um, by the way, I'm just probably people are probably tuning out right now. Like, no, this no, this guy is, is great. No, people, nerd. people love this. You're you're appealing to the full base okay. right now. But yeah. I, you know, so that was another thing. I just like I immersed myself in everything that I could learn about it, and uh, so that was a that was a uh, huge part, you know, a couple of years of my life where that's all I was thinking about and doing. You know, and and I just Pentax six seven and um, Hasselblad five hundred three system and um, and uh, you know sadly now they're not getting as much work because yeah. it's all film stuff. But then now there's like this movement back to it all. So I'm do you develop there. your own film or do you? Send no, it out? that is one thing that um, that I yeah, that everyone tells me like you just get a dark room and do your own stuff. And like, I feel like if you're the sort of person who's calling strangers to teach you to foam milk. I feel like you can probably, I feel like this is something you'd get really into. The reason why I didn't is because I wouldn't see my wife and my kids ever That's again. I think fair. I would just be in there. And, and I and I did it already with Photoshop. I yeah. was learning everything about Photoshop. And, and uh, you know, I, I four hours would go by like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an extreme hobbyist. Okay. Um, and watches came into my life and that was... Something that I, I uh, treated the same way. So is there is there a particular moment in your sort of like watch nerd uh, education that that stands out to you as like the the deepest like craziest rabbit hole you went down? Boy, I mean, if there was one, it was on Avdinky on the website, you know, and that was like my bible for for the longest period of time. Was like, all right, what what makes this special? Why is this cool? And what's a what's a Ratrapant? And what's a you know what's um, and uh, and what you guys did there was like just just kind of isolating the cool stuff. I was like, yeah, that is cool. Why is that? Here's why. Well, I took the date window out, and this is like a you know, time only this, and that was perfect. You know, size at forty millimeters, and this and that. You know, I started like absorbing all that information. But I'm trying to think of one moment that was that was like eureka, like oh my god, you know. Um, but I mean, I remember when you guys were doing 
that was I think I started watching when watching and reading was uh it was a, there was there was a section when you were talking about this Italian watchmaker called Squall. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, they had yeah. these bakelite bezels that were found oh, yeah. from the uh from the 70s or something. Uh, uh, like old, new old stock, I guess. Yeah. Of the, yeah. And um and I just was like, what is that? What's what's a bakelite bezel? I don't <laughs> you know and um so it just was like walking into Willy Wonka's factory. It was like, oh my yeah. god, yeah, this is so there's so many different identities that can exist in 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 a, in in a watch, right? Like you know, um, you know, growing up, you just like watch it tells time. Yeah. Well, no, like there's you know, this is a you know, this is a pilot's watch. This is a you know, racing watch. This is a a dive watch. This is a formal watch. It's a no you know time only formal watch. This is so it just was. I don't know. I, maybe there wasn't one specific moment, but it was just um um you know some of these crazy movements you see now um you flip the, the, the case over and you see and just like oh my god look at these gears and look at these jewels and look at this and that and why is how is how is painstaking the process would be to put that together and it requires no batteries it does no you know no. and that's not also taking a dump on on quartz like you know I, that uh, has its place too but uh but i i don't know i just uh, maybe there wasn't just one fully mo maybe it was a, sort of a slow you know snowballing effect um, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm still, you know, fully in the thick of it. And I like now that we see, um, because we do live in a world where we don't have to wear a watch, right? We, we, could, we, no, we look at our phone. You, you sit and you have the a phone, time. there's clocks everywhere. Like right. you don't, you don't need a watch at all. No, you do it by choice. Like, yeah. This is like the one piece of jewelry I feel comfortable wearing. Yeah. And, um, and there's a, there's a soul to it. There's a, it's a, there's a tool there, you know, and it's a beautiful tool. Um, and, uh, you know, in my, like I said, in the, like my modest collection, they're all just, you know, price, you know, it's not just, uh, expensive watches. It's like, it's, you know, $50 to, you know, like $200 SKX 007, the, the Seiko dive yeah. watch. That's just like, you know, a beater that you, you know, it's like a tank. Um, but there's stories behind each one too, you know? For sure. I got my son into it for a while and it was like. He has an orange monster and a um, the uh, Casio Frogman, and I remember for a long time he was wearing one on each wrist for like. <laughs> That's how you know you're doing six your job, months. Right? Yeah, six months, and uh, so those are like his first watches, and he like you know looks at them with reverence now. Like this, these are special. Like it's a cool. moment I shared with my dad, and he taught me about this. And I don't know, I just I, I like all of that, and um, so when I you know when I discovered you all, it was like oh, this is fantastic. Um, and watching you all grow and doing your thing has been really, oh. really cool and exciting. And Thank you very much. I, That's uh, well deserved. It's been fun, you know, for us getting to watch this community grow. Yeah, you know, it's 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 really. I've been involved with Hodinki for you know about almost seven years now, six and a half years, and it's it's night and day. I mean, the community yeah. is is so rich and diverse and interesting now, and yeah. you know, it's got it's got ways to go. It can grow so much yeah. more and become so much more diverse. Yeah. Um, but it's the people, and I mean, that was kind of the whole impetus behind creating this show, right. is is the people who are involved in this weird little world of ours are Not so, little anymore, so interesting. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, that's it's true. huge. Yeah. And you guys were like the beacon. Like, you know, I mean, that was like, everyone found you and it was like, because you, you could tell that you all cared about what, what you were talking about. And um, so it's, it's fun. It's been fun to see you all like. Thank you, know, you very much. Grow that's... and. Uh, 
and and all of that and these, all the collaborations, everything. It's just super cool to see. Thank you. Speaking yeah. of collaborations, you're wearing our latest collaboration. Look at that parlay. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we had to. I mean, we have to mention it, right? Um, you're wearing the uh, the IWC yes. Hodinkee uh, pilot. Yep, that's the the Mark 18 so Hodinkee good. version, and it's it's incredible, incredible. Again, perfect size for me. 39 millimeters. Looks so good. Um, got the serotanium, which is you know. <laughs> zirconium oxide that's yeah been there. it's pretty awesome <laughs> it's not like a pvd it's on it just on the surface it's yeah. baked through the whole thing and it's light as titanium and 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 as uh scratch resistant as, as ceramic yeah am i right on that yeah yeah you're um, spot on honestly but it's yeah i love the the uh the no date um yeah and it's just dial so clean it, so pure i just i love it man i you know you see crazy watches being made nowadays and and i i can marvel at their engineering i can but uh, I just, I, I'm such a elegance and sophistication in simplicity. And, and, uh, and I see that kind of theme going through a lot of the watches that you guys go, oh, check this thing out. Yeah. There's a balance to the dial. Yeah. Um, it's sort of elegant simplicity sometimes. And even in the most like crazy ornate movements, it's just, um, we kind of speak the same language and like have the same taste. And I was like, ah. I'm going to bug these guys. <laughs> Perfect. You're, you're welcome to bug us anytime. Um, uh, but yeah, I love this. This is uh, my, my new uh, my new favorite. Uh, watch. Awesome. It's getting the most wrist time at the moment. That's very, very good to hear. <laughs> um, so we're going to have to wrap in a, in a few minutes. But before we do our, our Hodinky questionnaire, which is how we how we wrap every episode, um, what's next for you? What's what's coming next? Either either work wise or. Uh, you know, what's, what's your next crazy obsession? What's, what's coming down the pipe for you? <laughs> I don't know, man. I wish my next obsession would be something like useful, like, you know, I mean, don't, cooking. Don't or, we all wish? <laughs> or, uh, right, yeah. Learning, you know, the stock market or doing your taxes. <laughs> I really need to get into learning how to do your taxes. Yeah. yeah. You'd be um, the best at filing <laughs> right. tax returns. Or something that's not expensive, you know, like, yeah. um, um, but, uh, I just, I just, this uh, Paramount movie, um, Sonic, with uh, with Jim Carrey, finished that yeah. in the fall last year, and that's it's coming out um, later in the year. Uh, it was fun to see him like do some of his vintage stuff, but all new, you know. Um, it, it was fun to see him like having a blast, kind of doing yeah. doing his thing that he used to do, but f it feels a hundred percent fresh. Like he is a not... force of nature. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. It was at the best time with him, and watching him work and being the recipient of. Is he like that in person? Is the is the energy as intense in person as it feels like it would be? It's it's a, there's a version of it. Okay, there's a version of it, but it is like he's there's a real peace about Jim now with his like uh, he's he's very mindful of like um uh, like just just being in a good place. Like he's mindful of his soul and like okay and 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 he, you can see him like enjoying being on set. Like, I think it's been 10 years since he's, I mean, he did the okay. show um, on, sh on Showtime. Um, but, uh, but this is his first movie back. And so I, and I, you know, Dumb and Dumber and all these Ace Ventura, yeah. and these are like yeah. my classics that like, 100%. this is my comedy Bibles, these, these. Um, so being able to be on set and do these scenes with him and try not to laugh. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I can't imagine sitting it's, across from Jim Carrey and trying not to laugh. It's it's, uh, it's the worst because you yeah. know you realize like oh I can't I can't break this because nope. like he's just knocking this out right now. Um, so that was that was fun and uh, and I did this show uh, for Netflix called Dead to Me with Linda Cardellini and um, 
Christina Applegate that Adam McKay is producing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, super cool. Uh, love him. And you know, we worked together on Anchorman too back in the day. But um, so that's coming out relatively soon. Uh, cool. Springtime. Okay. You know, later uh, springtime. I, I can't say the exact date right. yet because yeah. it may move. Okay. Um, so watch out for that. It's called Dead to Me on Netflix. Um, and that's kind of the two that are, you know, on deck at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we'll wrap things up. We'll do our, our questionnaire and uh, cultural recommendation to finish things off. Okay. Uh, so question number one, uh, mm. what's a watch that's caught your eye recently? Something you've, you've been, you've been looking out for. Uh, what has caught my eye? Um, somebody it's, I've just seen so much good stuff uh, lately. Oh, the, um, I don't think I'll ever be able to own one. And I think it's just the the level of absurdity in in a, the coolest way is uh, is I just can't stop thinking about it. Is that the is it, it's called the Rainbow Daytona? Yeah, the Rainbow Daytona. Yeah, that that oh, with the man. Like, rainbow jewels on the bezel. Yeah. And I just am like, what? I've never seen anything like. I that. feel like somewhere as unicorn. you said that, Kara just like <laughs> sat up straight and was like, wait, some somebody's talking about this watch. <laughs> it's funny because I, when I first saw it, I was like, what? It's and so then cool. once I sat with it, I was like, that is beyond cool you know like that's one of those watches you show to people and they're like oh i don't know man and i'm like the more i think about it the more i can't stop thinking about it yeah (laughs) and when you see it in person it's just like yeah see i haven't it's a crazy idea taken all the way to like the most the most superlative version of that idea it's just (laughs) it's so well done and it's completely insane yep yeah. But it works. And it's amazing. That's, that's that's the whole point of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that definitely within the last few years has been one that's like made me go, whoa, what is that? Um, so yeah. Awesome. What's the best place you've traveled in the last year? Um, in the last year for travel. Um I went to Amsterdam for the first time. Oh, that, cool. That was really cool. Never seen it, never been there, and I could very easily live there. Nice, nice. Okay, <laughs> I was like, "This is fantastic," and not for the things, the reasons you think I yeah, might be yeah, thinking yeah, of. Sure. But like, everyone's on a bike. Everyone looks pretty chill and like you know, easygoing. Um, the city is beautiful. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was uh, that was a cool, that was a cool place to to, to visit. Um, and then maybe Monaco. You know, yeah. Always, cool. always. I've been there once before for the Formula One race, but uh, oh, nice. But uh, this was this time it's different. I get to see a little more of it. Cool. Um, what's uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given, and who gave it to you? Ooh, uh, um, boy, you know, I, why do I always blank on these? Because I have no, good, I a drive t- away. It's a tough question. I drive away, and I go, "That was the you know." Um, follow your heart. It's so simple, and, and you know, and hallmark sounding. But uh, just lead with that. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, that's the one that I always kind of go back to, you know, when you're, when you're trying to figure out, navigate your way through life. It's like, you know, that, uh, listen, to, listen to that. Um, and it's what I, uh, you know, bestow on my kids as well, you know. Um, I remember my uh, ex-father-in-law said, you know, that when we were getting ready to be new parents, he said that, you know, they, um, be open to your children teaching you as much as you teach them. And cause that's definitely what, uh, what happens. And it's like these miracle children that, that, uh, um, 
teach you as much as you as you teach them and uh nice and i'll think of a couple of others <laughs> <laughs> i i like that question usually but then i panic and i, I forget, all right. i forget all of them it's all right yeah. um and the last one before we do our <clears throat> cultural recommendation is uh what's your guilty pleasure oh my oh, man this could go on um my guilty pleasure peanut butter <laughs> peanut butter okay that is a new answer or we have never gotten skittles <laughs> okay uh yeah that's um that's the oklahoma in me uh skittles are great to be fair i mean yeah i, I you know i could uh, i could get a bar of hershey's chocolate and dip it in a jar of jiff peanut butter and just be like that's like oh, i feel terrible that's solid but it's great yeah um but yeah, a more, <laughs> a, little, a little more, less lowbrow guilty pleasure. That's uh, fine. I mean, we're, we're all about the, the high low. It's, uh, it works. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I mean, I guess cars, I guess are my, you know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to get into doing some like, you know, enthusiast racing. Um, cool. and, uh, I did a little, uh, a racing program with Ferrari last year and, um, um, that's uh, that's just another hobby, though. Mine not really a guilty yeah. pleasure, but uh, but it's. I again, think Skittles something... and peanut butter count. Yeah, I, I think, think that, let's that go works. back to those. Yeah, you know? that works. I'm, I'm trying to make a you know silk purse out of a sow's ear here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, and to uh, to wrap things up, we'll uh, I'll ask you for a, a cultural recommendation. So this can be something something you <clears throat> recommend people go check out after they're done listening to the podcast uh it can be something you worked on you can plug something feel free okay. or it can be something you you saw or read or visited or something that you, yeah. you want to recommend well i don't know why the first thing that popped in my mind i mean one i guess i've already plugged my shows coming out but Sorry. uh but um uh the peterson automotive museum this is just in la um uh, and the broad yeah uh, if you if you have any sort of interest in looking at contemporary art and um, the, the broad is just and the architecture of the building too is just yeah, like phenomenal amazing. both both buildings it's just um so if you if you're in la you know i, I, I would can strongly recommend checking checking them out sweet well and thank then, you and then hitting a little john and vinnie's on fairfax Ooh, afterwards yeah that sounds pretty good right now actually <laughs> yeah if you really want to be, be gluttonous and and uh have guilty pleasures. Yeah. That's the guilty. And then, grab, guilty and pleasure. then grab some Skittles on the way home. It's yes. fine. Yeah. Getty Carbonara at, at John and Vinny's with a five, six hour bolognese. That's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not peanut butter and Skittles, but it's, it's, it's a version of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be their tagline now at John and Vinny's. Yeah. They're like, oh, thanks for the, uh, yeah. <laughs> thanks for the, for the promo there. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, Get out there! Just finally, sun shining now in LA. Yeah, it's well, been like uh, raining the past. Like, yeah, like, hopefully, hopefully months. the sun will still be shining when we leave the uh, the windowless uh, yeah, studio. Yeah, sorry, but, you had to, you know. Hey, it's still it's still it. LA. I'm not complaining, and it's not 10 degree New York. That's so, true. Uh, yeah, no that's complaints true. on my end. That's true. That's but true. Uh, well, thanks next, so much for doing this, man. It's uh, it's absolutely. good to see you, and uh, we'll we'll have to have you back. I think well, there's I'd love to do it again. Way yeah. more than another hour <laughs> of stuff uh, we could talk about here. For sure. Awesome. Thanks, man. You got it. This week's episode was recorded at the Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, and was produced and edited by Grayson Corhonan. Please remember to subscribe and rate the show. It really does make a difference. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.